Thank you so much for joining us today for our LifePoint podcast. At LifePoint, we believe everyone's welcome, nobody's perfect, and with God, anything's possible. Hope you enjoy. Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Yes. Uh, We're so glad you're here. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint. If you're a guest today, first of all, let us just say a big thank you for being here, especially in this service. This is the... uh, this is the Ninja Christian service, the people who want to get it up, get up and get going quickly. And uh, so we're glad you're here. And uh, we also know this is the last weekend that everybody sort of takes off um, to go on their last trip before the school starts. And so, uh, but you guys are here, so you're, you're better than all of them. So anyways, uh, uh, we're glad you're here. I'm kidding. You're not really better than them. They're awesome, too. They're just not here. So we like you better right now. Anyways, uh, a couple of things I got to just say before we um, jump in. Uh, the 21 days of prayer, you just heard about it in the announcement package there. Man, for the la- this is day 15. For the last 15 days, uh, our church has been gathering every single morning. Uh, and Monday through Friday, it's been from 6 to 7. And I thought, man, it's just going to be us chickens here. But every, every morning, there have been 20 uh, to 35 people here gathered for prayer. Um, worshiping God together, praying together, and I'm telling you, it's just been an un, an unbelievable thing. And then yesterday, um, we were here from 9 to 10 on Saturdays. We gathered from 9 to 10, and it's been amazing. And so if you haven't yet jumped into any of that, it's not too late. Just jump in at your own, at your own pace, at your own way, uh, whether you can come once or whether you can, you can come all five or six days. Uh, whatever you can do, just try it one day and just see if it doesn't make your day better. I promise, I, I guarantee you, if you plug in, can't guarantee you. I hope, I pray for all of us that have been ta- here, we've been experiencing better days, better weeks, a, a little more sleepy than we were before, but, uh, but uh, nevertheless, absolutely been amazing. And so we would love it if you would join us for, for any of, or all of that. We have resources, prayer resources in, uh, in the lobby. Feel free to grab one of those prayer guides. They have been such a great resource for me during these, this 21 days of prayer. And uh, just join us. Jump in. And then one, one last thing. Next Sunday um, is our back-to-school blessing. And we're going to be having all of the kids over, all of our educators uh, from, 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 from kindergarten to, to college, and then all of our educators and people who work with the school. We're going to commission and, and bless them. And uh, it's just a major part of what we do around here, especially this time of year. So... Bring, bring the kids. Um, they'll have kids point up there, and then we'll bring them down, and we'll pray over them, and it's going to be an amazing week as we send our kids. I know some of the kids are already back in school, um, but I know for Northside, they're starting, um, they're starting next Monday. So we, we want to we send them off right. Amen, somebody? Yeah. Amen. So uh, quickly, we're in this series called um, All That Matters, and what we've been talking about are things that matter uh, big time throughout the, t- the biblical text, through, through Jesus' ministry, and should matter to us. And Today we're going to do a message called Get in the Game. Any sports fans in the house today? Any people who love sports? Yeah? Uh, real quickly, look at somebody nearby and just tell them your favorite sports team. Go ahead. Don't fight anybody, but just tell them real fast. Some of you are like, I don't care about sports. Maybe it's shopping. Maybe your sport is shopping. Um, right? Maybe your sport is making fun of people who like sports. Uh, Whatever it is. Um, I, I am a Spurs fan and a Cowboys fan, and I'm not ashamed of it, even though they've hurt me a little bit. They've hurt me a little bit. Kawhi Leonard broke my heart, man. Um, and then he, he, he exacerbated that by winning the championship again. You know what I'm saying? But um, I, I still believe. Come on, I still believe, right? Now, when I was a kid, especially when I was like 6th, um, 7th, uh, 8th grade in that range, 
uh, I had a Nerf hoop. Anybody remember Nerf hoop? Um, do we, do we, yeah, right there, that one right there. And I had two of them because our house had like an L shape to it. The living room went into this dining room thing over here. Nobody ever ate in the dining room, but there was a fancy table in there. Y'all know what I'm talking about? It's like Thanksgiving and Christmas, and then the rest of the time it was just dusty, you know. And uh, so I had one on one end in the living room, and I had one around the corner. You had to go down and around the corner. I had one over there, and I played full court by myself, right? Um, I had problems when I was a kid. Nobody wanted to play uh, Nerf Hoop with me. And, uh, and, I, and I would imagine, uh, of course, that I, this was back in the day when George Gervin and Johnny Moore and Alvin Robertson and uh, uh, Artis Gilmore and, in, and then sort of towards the end, Sean Elliott. But back in the day, it was Gervin. Gervin was the guy, and I would imagine I was George Gervin. And our house wasn't very big, and so the roof was eight uh, feet tall. And so that left me like this much room because um, I put it on the door. You know, you put it on the door. And, and, and sometimes as I got a little bit taller, I come in to jam it, and I would just rip my, my knuckles off because it was the kind of popcorn ceiling. Y'all remember that? Everybody shaves that off now. But back in the day, apparently it was a thing. Um, and I would rip all my skin. It would just be dangling up there like, a, like jerky curing, you know what I'm saying? Mm. You know, um, I don't know. I don't, that's not in the notes, but uh, anyways. And, 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 and so, like, I, I, I played basketball in high school, and I played basketball at, in our seminary, and, 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 and I love to watch sports um, now, uh, but when I was younger, I'd much rather be playing than I would be watching. You know, anybody feel me on that? Uh, I, I'd much rather be where the action is than, than sitting in the stands or on the couch watching the game. Matter of fact, even to this day, I'd rather, I'd rather struggle all over a golf course in 95-degree weather than watch it on TV. I watch it on TV now on Sundays in particular because it's like an adult lullaby and it lulls me to sleep and I go to sleep every single time I go to sleep. And then I wake up and it's the 18th hole and that's the best part, right? So this is where it matters. And, and so I'd rather, like, I can't watch dudes fish on TV. Like, it's, it's like neat for them, but I want to be on the water actually catching my own fish or trying to catch them and seeing them. I go to a river up in San Marcos and I can see them everywhere, but they just don't want to eat anything I'm throwing at them. But still, that's better for me than watching and on television. I, I think we're wired up as human beings to, to want to get in the game. Th- think about it. When you were a kid, you never grew up. You weren't dreaming when you were a kid. One day I'm going to be a great spectator, right? Or I, when I grow up, I'm going to be a tremendous watcher of television, right? Nobody, now, now people do that nowadays, but, uh, but th- that's not what you wanted to do. The heart's cry is put me in the game. And, and yet when it comes to our faith, and our faith in action, um, so many believers never get out of the spectator seats. And content to eat, you know, bad nachos and sit in tiny, uncomfortable chairs and watch the game uh, from the stands. We're, we're in a series called All That Matters. And um, we, we talked last week about these four phrases that describe the journey that we believe every, every, that God has for every person who ever lived. And and, uh, and it's just four phrases, and they're common phrases now. Lots of folks in lots of churches use these same phrases. But it's know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And each one of these are steps in a journey. And know God is just simply we, that it's God's will that everybody knows him, that has a relationship with him. Not just knows, them in, knows him in their head, but knows him in their hearts, and most, most importantly. And, and then they find freedom from their yesterdays, from the chains, the baggage, the pain, the hurts, the habits, the hang-ups of yesterday. And we, do, we see that happen best in, in life groups, which is why we promote them so heavily this time of year. 
And then, of course, to make a difference, or rather to find purpose, that, that, that God put all of us on this planet to do something with our lives. He didn't just put us here to sort of take up space and then die one day, you know, and then have some stuff happen in the middle. He put us here to, to ultimately, the, the fourth thing, make a difference. And this is a Make a Difference series. Now, I bring all of this up because in our day, church has become more of a spectator sport than a team game, right? We sit in rows. Uh, rows are great. We don't mind rows, but we say circles are better than rows because life change happens best in circles, and circles describes what we call life groups. Um, and, and many people never decide to join the team, get out of the bleachers and onto the field or the court or, the, or, or whatever the best metaphor is. And, and I think that there's a lot of reasons why um, this is true, why people never make the choice to get out on the stands. I, I read a statistic one time. I don't know how accurate it was, but the person was, who was saying it was very credible. And he said something like 92% of Christians in America never discover what their purpose is and consequently don't get involved in anything other than just sort of coming. I, I, think, I think that, that some of the reasons are some people, especially in our culture today, they just can't get over their need for life, their life to be all about them and, and, and theirs. And many in our, our culture are consumed with themselves and their own comforts and their own agendas. Uh, they're too busy for others. And I think, though, that that's a small minority, really, I do. But there are some people that that would fit the bill. Others just simply are afraid to try to get on the field. Um, they're afraid of failure. They're afraid of commitment. Like if I agree to help in this area, do I have to do it for the rest of my life, right? They're intimidated by something that happened in their past that they feel disqualifies them. Or they just don't recognize the gifts that God's given them, put in their lives. Others are, are apathetic. Uh, and frankly, that's just a fact that people are like, eh, maybe someday, right? And, and then others are, are, are procrastinators. And they have these intentions. I'm going to plug in. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to volunteer. I'm going to serve. I'm going to help. I'm going to do th something for other people. Um, but it's always someday. It's never today, right? And, and, and sometime when we have more time, we'll, we'll plug in. That's what happens. And then at the end of the day, it really just boils down to a choice that we make, a decision that we make about our faith, that, that you, can, you can show up to church week after week, whether it's this one or some other one. You can make your way to your usual seat, and, and you can listen to a fair, and watch a fairly good service, uh, hang out with a few friends and then head home and, and eat lunch and take your nap. That's a fairly good and safe choice, and I think uh, uh, a lot of people do that. Or, or, this is the choice, you can throw yourselves into an adventure with God by rolling up your sleeves and getting in the game. That, that's the decision on, on the table. Um, to be a spectator or to get up from the seats, literally crawl over the rails, suit up, and get on the playing field. And, I, and I'll guarantee you this. It's a lot more interesting to be a participant than it is to be a spectator, right? Spectators are cool, but if you ask the people who are in the game, would they rather sit in a chair or, and watch or get in the game, they'll tell you every time it's much better to be in the game. The point is, why watch others help change the world when you can join them? Amen, somebody? Because I don't believe that God created uh, any of us to sit on the bench. As a matter of fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10 says, For we are God's workmanship. And, and, and it says that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like, what's God's will for my life? It's to do something good for other people, right? That's, that's the bottom line. God made you for a purpose. And so today, 
We're going to learn from what Jesus says that he wants from us and more importantly what he wants for every one of us. And this is one of those messages that says, hey, everybody in the room, everybody is needed. This is an everybody's needed message. You with me so far? Yeah, okay. So that every one of us can know the joy of what it feels like to actually get put into the game so that we as a community, as a church, can do what God calls us to do as a church. I want to read from a story. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, Matthew chapter 25, that, that Jesus told about this very dynamic. And it's sometimes called the parable of the talents. Now, Jesus would take sto- situations that he would encounter and he would make up stories that were brilliant, just absolutely brilliant, and not only their scale, but in their, in their depth and the layers that were down. You could take some of these parables and teach them 20 different ways, literally. You could teach whole, whole years on, a, on one of his parables. And, and this is one of those that has so much going on. And here's what it says in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. And he's just teaching story after story after story. And here he goes in verse 14. He says, again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants. And if you, if you have your Bible, underline this word, entrusted his wealth to them. To, to one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. Uh, and to, one, uh, to another one, one bag. And then this is an incredible line, each according to his ability each according to his ability. There's so much I want to say about that, but I don't have time. Then he went on his journey. And then verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once, underline that if you take notes, and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. And what's implicit there is that he did exactly what the first guy, he went at once and he put it to work. But verse 18, the man who had received one bag, he went off. Another translation says he just went away and dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, some people miss the good news, the gospel in this. Um, the story begins with incredibly good news. And this is, has huge impact for your life and mine. The master calls these guys servants, but the actual word in the story is slaves. These guys are slaves. This is in the Roman Empire time. The Romans had conquered much of the known world, and there were lots and lots and lots of slaves uh, in, their, in, their, in, their, in their realm. And so these people have no money. They have no property. They have no career. They have no prospects. But this, this master says to them, I'm going to give you guys an unbelievable opportunity. Now, Jesus is this incredible storyteller. And what would, what would strike his listeners who were hearing the story is the enormity of the money that's been given to these guys. Um, many transla- this translation we read calls them bags of gold. Most translations call them talents. And often when I pictured a talent in my mind, I would either think of natural talents or I would think maybe of some kind of gold coin or something that was worth a lot of money. Um, but if you, if, you, if you imagine a talent as a coin, you miss the, 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 the richness, the flavor of the parable. A talent was the largest unit of measuring money in, in the time. 
<clears throat> so like, like commonly our $100 bill is the largest thing. Well, a talent was, and, and it wasn't weighed like in terms of denominations, like, oh, this is a $5 talent and this is, no, uh, this, it, was, it was weight. And a, and a talent weighed, uh, some scholars say, weighed up to 75 pounds. It was an ingot of gold or silver. It often had a handle to make it easier uh, to transport. And a talent was worth 6,000 what was called de- denarii. And and a denarius, we know this actually from one of Jesus' other parables, was about the average one person could make for working an entire day. One denarii would be what what you would receive at the end of the day. So 6,000 days of income is tied up into that 75-pound talent, which which is just years, if you do the math, of income. So this is a story about a slave, uh, three slaves who win the lottery, right? This is a story that starts with grace. Really important to recognize that these guys had nothing to offer him but their own labor. And he says, in exchange for your nothing, I'm going to just upload you with a tremendous amount of grace. Which begs the question to to you and I, what have I been given? What has God given me? God is a grace dispenser. We know that Jesus teaches this all throughout the Gospels. He dispenses grace. What have I been given? We read last week where Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 11, you will be enriched in every way. Why? Why would you be enriched? So that you can be generous on every occasion. You're going to be enriched not just with money, but in every, every way. So that a question is, what have I been given? Well, When you do an inventory of what you've been given, sometimes we focus on what we don't have to the exclusion of noticing what we do have. It's a common problem in America because of commercialism, because of the commercials, which are constantly reminding us that this thing's better than the thing you have. Right? Come on, isn't that right? Like, my truck used to be cool, but look, they came out with a new body style. Now mine's a piece of junk. No, it's awesome, and you paid for it, and you could drive it for a long time and save a lot of money, but you, we don't do that. We go out and get the thing that we don't have. Right? I, 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 this isn't a message about commercialism. Keeping it, right, keeping it real, right? You, you have the talents that you were born with. You have the life experiences that have enriched your life. You have the, 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 thing, the pain that has deepened you, the, 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 the stuff that's happened that's matured you, the love of others that spills from God's heart into yours. You, you have spiritual gifts, the Bible says, that God has lavished upon you which we are in turn supposed to use to lavish upon other people. You're part of the church. The church is a community of blessing because we operate under the Abrahamic covenant, which says when God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you so that you can in turn bless the, the, the peoples of the world. So, so what have I been given? Like If you were to go down um, and just give a blessing inventory in, in, in your thing, well, number one, you're alive. Come on, somebody, that's a good thing. That's, it's better than the alternative. Can I get a witness? I'm like, I don't know. I'm aching today. It's better than not aching. Come on, somebody. Like aching because there's no life in your body. Anyways, um, you, you have the talents. You have the skills. You have the stuff that you're good at. You, you have a body. You have energy. You used to have more, but you still have some. You have your mental health, most of us, right? Come on, somebody. You are in touch with reality. You have So write down, if you're taking notes, energy and sanity, and, and you have breath, and you have experience, and you have financial resources, and you don't have to put a number down, but just in comparison to the rest of the world, as we talked about last week, just write the word much, right? Uh, also, you have your wounds. It's an unusual thing that God uses our wounds 
even more than he uses our strengths. I found this to be true over and over again in my own life. That a lot of times it's people who have lost somebody dear to them or wrestled through and conquered an addiction or gone through a deep depression who have gone through the pain of a divorce or or something like that, who are able to best help those who are going through the same situations because God never wastes a hurt. He never wastes a wound. And here, around here, we call your wound your unfair advantage because, because of what you've been through that I haven't been through. You're much better qualified to serve and help somebody going through that same thing than I am because I haven't been through that. And it becomes your unfair advantage, Right? And this is why we press life groups so hard, because this is where you, you, you deepen and you go through the things that, that, that you go through, but you have people to walk them through, just like we heard in the video. But, but then if you are a follower of Jesus, you have the forgiveness of sins and promises of an eternal life, because this Jesus who told this story died. He, he goes on to die for the forgiveness of sins, and he was raised to life for our eternal hope. Are you rich? Right? Um, so I begin asking, what has God given me? Most of us would realize if we were to go do this inventory that it's, it's much. And that, then the next question becomes, well, what will I do with what has been given to me? Because that's this parable. What am I going to do with what's been given to me? In fact, the word Jesus uses to describe the master's generosity is that he, he entrusts it. He entrusts it. In, in other words, this is not something just for the benefit of the, of the recipient of the, of the, of the gift. It's, much, it's about the, the larger plan that God has going on. The larger plan that the master has going on for nobler purposes. Which brings up the next idea. Whatever the Lord gives me now, he's going to ask me about later. Right? This is the parable. Whatever the Lord gives me now, he's going to ask about me later. My mind, my body, my imagination, my stuff, my resources, my time. Um, Whatever the Lord gives me now, he's going to ask me about later. And we're going to talk about that in greater detail next week because that's a biblical fact. He's going to ask you later what you did with what he gave you. So so back to the story. The master gives his servants all this money. Now, here's a real striking um, moment. Do you notice the instructions that he gives to the three servants about what to do with the money? Yeah, none. He didn't give them any instructions at all. He just says, here you go. Right? He doesn't say, hey, start, I want you to start, you start this business and you invest in this fund over here. He just gives them tremendous freedom. And he basically says to them, I want you to exercise your initiative. You take responsibility. You create. You dream. You dare. You risk. You imagine. You be entrepreneurial with what I've given you. You go out and envision a, a solution to this problem and, and throw some money at it and see what happens. This is what he says. Now, apparently the master doesn't want just want to use them to grow his money. He's using his money to grow them. Huge. Apparently God wants you to dream about how you can get in the game. Three servants get this opportunity. Two of them go to bed that night and their minds are racing and they can't stop dreaming about what they might do with this this incredible gift of grace, this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And Jesus says, verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. At once. It's like he can't wait. It's like he can't believe what's happening. It's like he's scared to death that the master might go, oh, never mind, I messed up. I shouldn't have done that. But, but when the third, servant's, third servant went to bed, his mind was not racing. 
The next morning when he got up, Jesus says he went away and dug a hole. And he buried the talent. And from that day on until the master returned, his life was not one single bit different than it had been before the amazing gift of grace had been deposited into his life. Not one bit of change happened as a result of this incredible gift of grace. The the gift didn't prompt any dreams and, and any dares, any risk. It didn't change him at all. And this man does not seem to appreciate it as a gift at all, rather more of an incredible burden and a responsibility, and he buries it. And man, I was thinking about this this week. Like, I don't want that to be my story of what I do with the gift of grace that God has given me. And so I worry about it in my own life as I get older. I'm 47 years old, and I know that some of you think I'm super old, and some of you think I'm super young, and some of you are like, dude, that's just right, you know what I'm saying? Because you're the same age as me, right? Like, and, and I, but I worry about it because I don't want to live my life on cruise control. Like, I, I want my life to, to matter in some way at the end of it. I, I don't want my worship to be relegated to what happens in this room on Sundays. I don't want want my impact to be confined inside the the walls of a church building. I want to make it happen. I want to make a difference. I want to get in the game. I don't want to be the third servant. And I think that deep down, most of us feel the same way. We want to make a difference. We want to get in the game, but oftentimes we just aren't sure how. You know, I was thinking about sin and about how we generally think about sins in, in terms of a category of things that we do. They call it sins of commission. Wrong things that we do. You know, lying, cheating, stealing, and, and whatever else. But, but, but in the Bible, the most serious sins are often sins of omission. Right? Things that I don't do that I should be doing. Right? It's getting quiet now. That's cool. That's right. But, oh, here we go, man. Yeah, here we go. Ready? It's the, love, it's the love I don't offer. It's the kindness I don't extend. It's the words I don't say. It's the servanthood I don't give. It's the gratitude I don't experience. It's the risks that I refuse to take. The, 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 the sin of the third servant's servant, braces, man, is very serious. But, but it's not the sin of what he did. It's the sin... Of what he did not do. He did not make his life a bold adventure of faithfulness to God. He did not say yes to this divine invitation. And, and notice, this isn't a failure he did just one time. Every single day when he woke up, he's sitting on a treasure for his master, buried in the ground. Every morning, it's an opportunity to go, you know what? That was a mistake. Let me, let me take that out and, and try that again. But he never does. He just buried the talent. And this guy wakes up every morning with a fresh chance to do the right thing. But instead, he thinks, nope, I'll bury it another day. Nope, I, got, I, I do not think I will do anything for the master who gave me everything. And he just goes about his same old business that he'd always been doing before the gift of grace that he'd always been doing. And so for, for weeks or months or years or however long the master was gone, These servants had been doing the same old task before the master left, I should say, in the same old order with the same old results until one day the master interrupts their lives with this explosive gift of grace. 
And for two of them, they realize, I can never be the same. I can never go back to the way things were. And it leads to the next question, which is really personal for us. What do I dream about doing for God? See, the, the truth of us is most of us will say, I, it never occurred to me to dream anything about doing something for God. I, most of my dreams are how I can get ahead for me or for my family. But this is, the, this is a question that, that the text begs us to answer. In light of what he's done for me, what am I dreaming of doing for him? What, what is it that you, if you could do a, a thing for God, what would, it do, what, would it, what would it be the thing that would keep you up at night, keeping your heart racing, keeping your heart fulfilled, like, man, I can't believe I get to do this? Well, it could be as simple as just encouraging a lonely person at work that really nobody connects to and, and making their life different. You, you could adopt a child through World Vision or One Child Matters. Our, our kids' ministry has three or four that they adopt, and we have some in the church, and our family has people in there. And, and their existence would change with meals and, and food and clothing and education. You could send computers or shoes to Haiti. We've taken them down there several times. You could, you could help two people who are fighting in your family to try to reconcile. You could take a moment and just notice the kid at the counter at McDonald's that everybody else just looks past, but you could see in him what God sees in him. You, you, you could fight sex trafficking through A21. If you don't know what A21 is, just go Google it and see that this, this is an amazing organization that is changing the world through fighting and rescuing girls and, and boys who are all around the world trapped in this lifestyle. Because God doesn't want to see any human being, uh, ha- ha- that happen to any human being. You could adopt a classroom, and we used to do this back in the day uh, at an underserved elementary school because God cares about the mind of a child. Today in our service right now, we have Charlie and Jennifer uh, Foltz. And they run, they run an organization called SA Heals. You've heard me talk about it. Uh, even last week you heard me talk about it. And they have a brand new program that they're, that, that they're offering now. And, and they've got some cards back there at Next Step Central that I'd love for you to go buy where you could become a lunch buddy with some schools that they partner with on the Near East Side. And you can mentor a student, and they would help you figure out how to do that. There's another program they have called uh, Reading Buddy, where you can one-on-one go once a week and read to a child and just help open their minds and open their imagination and help them develop the skill that really changes everything. When you can read, it changes everything. When you can't read, it's very confining. And you, we think, oh, it's no big deal. Everybody knows how to read. Not everybody knows how to read. A lot of people grow up and become adults who don't know how to read right here in our city, right? You could, you could partner with them, right? You, you could befriend a widow. You, you could start a life group. You could pray for somebody every day. You could say, this person, I'm going to lock them up and pray for them every day. You, you could help some young, ed, unwed teenage mom. You could in, innovate technology that makes a difference in the kingdom of God. You, you could use artistic gifts, maybe the, of music or painting or something to help people worship God. You could get involved with, with we have an organization that's represented right here in our own congregation. Leslie Ballou is, is one of our staff members, but she's also started a 501c3 years ago called South Winfields. And they are doing incredible works with folks, in the, adults in the community who, who just need a little bit of ha- helping hand to, uh, to live independently. And she's doing incredible things. And, and she just told me this week, yeah, I need volunteers. I need people. I need help. We need help. You could do that. You, you, could, you could just be so happy walking through life that people are like, dude, what is your deal? And you could tell them, 
dude, Jesus is awesome, man. And they're going to think you're a little nuts for like two seconds, but you just keep telling them how he changed your life, right? It's, it's, you, you could, you could, you, it, it doesn't have to look flashy or, or impressive. In fact, usually kingdom work isn't flashy or impressive. I was thinking about this week. What matters is not your capacity for achievement. What matters is your capacity for God. I want to say that again because we live in a, in a, in a culture, in a world that is so performance, so achievement-oriented, so numbers and metrics-driven. But what matters at the end of the day is not your capacity for achievement. It's your capacity for God. Augustine used to say that human beings are made with what he called Carpax Day, right? That, that is, you are made with a capacity for God, to know God, to love God, to enjoy God, to notice God in the, in the little moments of life, to serve him, to partner with God every minute of the day. How big is your Carpax Day, your capacity for God? No, nobody knows. You don't know. But, but when I wake up at maybe four in the morning worried about something, I can grab Psalm 23 and I can read, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. And all of a sudden, it begins to grow my capacity for God to experience the Lord as my shepherd. When I have money, I can give some of that money to somebody else and I can grow my capacity for God. When I see a need in the society, in the culture, when I see injustice taking place and I can say, Hey, I want to fight against that injustice and I can respond to it in the name of Jesus, I can respond to it and it grows my capacity for God. Which leads to the next question. What could keep me from being a good and faithful servant? That, that's what the master calls the first two guys, good and faithful servants. What could keep me from that? For, for the third servant, his problem, interestingly enough, isn't greed. It's fear. He, he says, hey, I, 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 I know that you're a hard person and, 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 and a hard man, and so I was afraid to lose your master, uh, your, your stuff, and, and, and he's afraid of the master, and he's afraid to fail because he has a low view of himself and he has a low view of his master. These two realities are the core issues why people don't get in the game. They're the core issues why people do crazy stuff. They, they have an incorrect view of God. They see him as angry and hard and mean or old or, or irrelevant or lost in the past. And they see themselves as too messed up or too frail or too lost or too busy to do anything of value of God. And, and I know that some of us, would, that would describe us. Like, ah, you don't know me, Danny. You don't know my backstory. You don't know my past. But Jesus says, or God sa uh, uh, John says in 1 John 3 and 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God, and that is what we are. That's what we are. doesn't matter how you see yourself. That is what you are. And we didn't do anything for that one. And if any one of you are here right now thinking that you're not qualified or that there's too much stuff or there's too much brokenness or there's too much darkness in your life, hear Jesus' words in Mark 2, 17. He says, I have not come to call the righteous but sinners. Anybody here ever sinned? Don't raise your hand. Yes, you did, right? We all have. Jesus is still calling people sinners. I want you. Come belong to be me. Be my friend. Be my follower. Partner with me. We'll change the world. Get in the game. We're called to become what we are not yet. 
And only God can do that in us. There's this very striking contrast in describing the behavior of the third servant versus the other two. This has a lot to do with your life and mine. Jesus says the first two servants went out. In other words, they went out to get something done. The third servant went away, went off, it says. The servants, first two servants went to work with what the master had given them. The third servant went out and dug a hole. The first two guys had an investment mindset. The third guy had a savings mindset. I just try to keep what I've already got. And Jesus is saying to us as a church, I did not give you this treasure of grace for you to get to take hold of it and keep it for yourself. This is a big game we're talking about. Right now, we're in the locker room. You guys with me right now? And right now, I'm giving a locker room speech, and we, we do this every week, and, and teams have to do that. Everybody needs the locker room talk. But it's very important to remember the locker room is not where the game gets played. It's playing on a field. Imagine this, this, this coming summer, next summer rather, when the Spurs are in the Western Conference Finals. Come on, I got big faith, y'all. Come on, somebody. And, 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 and what, if, what if after they, they, they have this amazing locker room talk, they say, we're declaring ourselves the winners of the Western Conference Finals because of this amazing locker room meeting we had. We love the locker room. We're getting all fired up. We're getting a new locker room down the road. Oh, that's good news anyways. Anyways, the, the music was terrific. The lockers are superb. And we're having more and more people come to our locker room. Woo, we're awesome. See, it doesn't matter how many people are in the locker room. You don't win the game in the locker room. You win the game on the field. The measure of our church is not what happens when our church is in the church. It's what happens when our church gets out of the church and goes into the world and makes a difference. That's how we measure the church. That's how we do it. See, the world really doesn't care how good our locker room meetings are. When people get loved... When the presence of Jesus gets released into the world, wherever you are, your school, your job, your neighborhood, your office, whenever homeless folks get something to eat and a place to stay and, and know somebody cares about them, when over, like last week, because of your generosity, over 100 children got a backpack with all the supplies that they're going to need for school, when little kids come in on a Sunday and find loving and caring and prepared adults and student leaders to love on them and tell them about Jesus, when resources get shared instead of hoarded, when promises get kept, when people in a jail who feel like they've been forgotten have somebody come visit them and pray for them like Kevin and Catherine do and care for them. While, while, when, when generations, instead of, of being divided, actually come together and know and love each other. When our veterans are not shoved into a corner someplace. When people take a small risk to invite somebody to church to sit with them, when marriages are made healthy and strong, when people work for their boss or at their base or at Starbucks or at USAA or at a car wash, and they do so as heartily as if they were working for the Lord, when a little child in Haiti gets medical care in Jesus' name, when prayers are bold and faith is strong and Jesus is lifted up, we're up there, comes down here, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's when, that's when our church is doing really well. And we're constantly looking for ways to make that a reality. That's why we're here. It's not to take what God has given us and go put it in a hole and live life for me. And the world really doesn't care about how good our locker room meetings 
are or how many people come into the locker room. It's about what happens in the world that God loves so much that he gave his only son to die for it. Leads to the last question. What words do I want to hear from God when my life is over? Verse 21 and verse 23 says that the first servant and the second servant heard these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome into the joy of the Lord. Because you were faithful with little, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make you rule over much. But well done. The, the problem with the third servant is he had all kinds of excuses and reasons why he never invested his life for the master. I know you were a hard guy, he says. I was afraid. Just didn't have a good picture of who it is that he's in relationship with, who he was working for. This is your one and only life. What's the next step that you need to take to get in the game? Now, now as you get real clear on what God um, has given you, maybe you don't have a dream at all right now. But here's the thing about God is God will give you a dream. The prophet Joel in Joel chapter 2 says that in the last days, Peter repeated it in Acts chapter 2, verses 20, 21, 20 and 21. He says in the last days that when the Holy Spirit comes on people, that one of the signs that, that, that that's happened is that, that old people are going to start dreaming dreams again. And young men and young women are going to have visions of, of, God, of up there come down here. And they're going to figure out how that happens. And so maybe you need to say, God, would you, give me, would you give me a dream? Would you give me a vision about how I can serve you? Maybe you have a dream. Maybe you've been afraid to go after the dream and you buried it in the ground until someday, some magical day comes where you'll pull it out and, and you know, dig it up and, and try to put it to work. Maybe you just need to tell somebody else to hold you accountable to your dream. Here's what God told me to do. Here's what God's vision for my life has been, and I haven't done it yet. Maybe you just need to take the next step, which is growth track. For us, it's growth track. Growth track is just how it's the next step. It's a catalyst for helping you figure out what your purpose is and how you might get involved. And listen, the, the aim for us is not to get you involved just here, although that would be awesome. That's a great place to start, volunteering, serving here. The, 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 the best thing we can tell you is just to do something. Get involved somewhere, right? Maybe it's just time to ask God for courage to take a risk. Here's the dream I'd like to be part of, and I'm done. Because when I think about churches who do it right, when I think about our church and what God has given to us as people, as individuals, and as a church, he's been so good to us. What, what if we became known as a place where everybody in our church who claims to follow Jesus, who names the name of Jesus Christ, said, God, I am willing uh, to risk all that you've been so generous to give me in terms of my, my talent, my imagination, my time, my resources, my volunteerism. I, I'm willing to, 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 to risk it all, to be generous, to do something loving and humble and good for other people that enlarges your kingdom. What, what if every one of us were to stand before God, every single one of us, and this is my prayer, every single one of us were to stand before God one day when it's my turn, Hey, Danny, well done, man. Well done, good and faithful. Hey, Kevin, well done. Hey, Charles, man, well done, well done. Hey, Rach, well, well done. At the end of the day, all of the accolades of men and all of the trophies and all of the achievements and all of the awards and all of the diplomas, none of that goes there. At that moment, the best words I'll ever hear 
from my heavenly Father. Man, well done. Come, enter into the joy of your Lord. That's what matters most. Lord, thank you uh, for this moment. Thank you for this time. God, it's the end of the summer. School's starting back up. The wheels are about to start spinning again. Life is about to get really crazy and busy again. For some of us, it already is. And Lord, it's real easy to get back on that grind and back on that, that treadmill and back in that spinning our wheels and doing all the stuff and taking our kids from one place to the next and filling their schedules up with all these things that, at the, as, as it turns out, at the end of the day, sometimes actually distract them from the most important things. God, in our efforts to make sure that our kids have everything we didn't as, as, as children, sometimes we go too far with that. And we don't help them to keep the main thing the main thing. And I'm just praying, I'm praying that as a church that we would remember what matters most. And God, I pray, Lord, whether it's conviction, whether it's inspiration, whether it's just awareness, clarity, that you would wake us up to the reality of what matters most and that we wouldn't get caught up in all of that, that we wouldn't spend all of our money and all of our time and all of our energy and all of our resources on us. You gave them to us for our enjoyment. That's what First Timothy says. But that's not all you did. It's not all you did. You gave us more than enough. And so our question has been all, all week, I mean all series, what do we do with the more than enough? of our time, of our talent, of our treasure, of our imagination, of our wisdom, of our know-how. What do we do with the more than enough? And I'm praying, God, that we will find ways to make it about you and about your purposes and about your kingdom. And God, I'm praying for people who don't yet know you, Jesus. People who are sitting in this space right now who need to know you, who need to know that you are good and loving and kind and gracious. This third servant had an incorrect view of you, God. He saw you as hard and, 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 and mean and, and, and heavy. It's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite of who you are. And I just pray that we realize the gift of grace that is on offer. That anybody who would come to you and say, Lord, I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to follow you. I want to give you what I have. I want to put it to work in your kingdom. God, that, that the moment we say, Lord, I want you to be Lord of my life. The, the moment we say, Lord, I want you to be the forgiver of my sins. Everything changes. Immediately it changes. And we turn from the way we've been going and we go a different direction. And that direction is how we find life. We read that last week. It's, it's how we really find life. It's not in all the things that we think it is. This is how we find life. And I pray that we would see that, that come in the name of Jesus. And everybody said a good amen. Hey, would you give the Lord a big hand? Amen, somebody? Amen. Hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If this ministry has impacted you in any way and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, please visit lifepointsa.com slash give to make a donation. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we hope to see you soon at one of our Sunday worship experiences. God bless.